extender back for your Bible bags. The rest of us, let's turn to Psalm 89. We're going to go through the first four verses of that psalm and then move on over to the 15th verse and go through the 18th verse. Psalm 89, 1 through 18 in essence. As we're all aware, we're going to celebrate the independence of our nation in just a few days. And we cannot help but ask the question, how is our independence doing? We claimed 238 years ago in our Declaration of Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, do we have life, abundant, liberty, and are we happy? Another way of asking the question might be, is independence really the foundation for creating and producing a life abundant, liberty, and happiness. When I took the course in cross-cultural uh, counseling, pastoral counseling, in my doctoral work, I was fascinated to come to understand that the world does not agree with this primacy that the Western world puts on independence. In the Western world, and especially in the developed world, and especially in the United States, we see independence as the goal of a maturing uh, person and a maturing culture. In fact, a child that becomes an adult and is still dependent on their parents is, from a Western perspective, not really free or living and certainly can't be happy. They must break free. They must become liberated. They must declare their independence in order to pursue life and happiness. But in most of the world, in fact, the opposite is true. In most of the world, a person who is considered a mature adult has learned to be dependent, to reject that self-centered self-absorption, that desire to be independent from their family. Such a person in most of the world lives in a loving, belonging place where the fruit of happiness grows out of a loving kindness of their parents and grandparents and their community and their church and their state. Now, as a, a pastoral counselor, what we were trained to understand is that we speak of a different kind of maturity than either of these that the world so often describes. Paradoxically, we speak of a biblical interdependence, a joining together of these two strands of human desire, affirming both the individual and the family, freedom and belonging. The biblical word that is used in the Old Testament to describe this is kesed. We translate that many different ways, but most often as loving kindness. It's spelled appropriately with an H, but you pronounce it like you would Christmas with a CH. Kesed involves a choice of loyalty, a choice of loyalty, of belonging, of covenant, of kindness, of love. Now, that's very different from the sentimental feelings of love we often think of. Kesed is, in fact, the freedom to choose to belong, 
a liberty that chooses to be loyal, to be kind, to be committed, to belong in an interdependence that allows both the individual and the family, the congregant and the congregation, the citizen and the nation, to develop a full maturity as both are interwoven in their life, their well-being, and their future. Now, God's vision, as expressed to us by his own relationship with us, is to give us steadfast love, loving kindness, a covenant loyalty, the three primary definitions of kesed. Now, the psalm that we're about to read, which expresses this kesed relationship, is the final psalm of the third book of the five books of the psalms. And each of those final psalms of the five books are very special in the way that they're written and the way that they're placed. This is called a royal psalm because it describes David's kingship as he ruled the land. The psalm is written by Ethan the Ezraite. Now David's kingdom, kingship began about 1010 BC. That's a good way to remember it. About 1010 BC. And Ethan is believed by scholars to have lived around 900 BC. So about 925 or so is when they think this psalm was written. 85 years after David began his rule and 925 years before Christ. Now, Ethan is, is described, if it's the same Ethan, within the Old Testament in 1 Kings, as a man as wise as Solomon. So he's considered a wise person who lives with wisdom. And you remember when we studied the, the gifts of the Spirit, that wisdom is the ability to take the truth of God and apply it to life in such a way that we live by the blessings of God and we are able to live a life that, that matters. So we want to go to this moment in history now. We're at 925 B.C. It's, it's well uh, beyond this wonderful Davidic kingdom, and David has been, of course, the ruler of that. We're only going to take some selected verses as we look at it. Your scriptures, perhaps, if you have the NIV, calls this a maskal, and nobody really knows what that means. Perhaps it means a meditation or a hymn. Perhaps it's a, a direction to the choir as to what kind of rhythm it should be sung with. We don't really know. But it's by Ethan the Ezra Height. So let's start with verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And then going on down to verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, it's an amazing thing that you, the creator of all, 
love us with a faithful love that is kind, loyal, and true. And that you mirror this and, and model this, that we would live with that kind of relationship, not only back with you, but with one another. And I would ask, Father, that you would help each of us as we understand today who we are and what motivates us and how we see even our faith, that you would help us live at the level of your maturity and of your life. And we do it all for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in the opening line, and in fact in the first verses of this psalm, we have a prime example of how easy it is to translate a biblical concept, especially from this uh, more universal language of God into a specific culture and to miss then the message that God has for us. The biblical concept of this Western mindset is something that causes us to read the scriptures as though it's all about me and my life and what is happening to me, independent of anyone else, my individual life, rather than about God and the life that he calls us to live. In the translation we just read, our English NIV, if you had the NIV version, the Bible says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Now, as you can see, the easy first reading of this verse is it's all about me, I. It is about my singing forever. And what I'm going to sing about is God's great love, presumably for me. I will sing forever about how God loves me. Now, although that is present in the Hebrew, the Western reading doesn't emphasize God's love for others or even the nature of God's love. If I just took this translation of the verse, then I could be all about me and still be a Christian. Independent of anyone else or anyone else's love, God has great love for me. Now, there's nothing wrong necessarily with reading this ancient Hebrew text in that way. We could sing forever. That's an unending praise of God. And God does love each of us individually. There's no question about that. And his love for us is great. But the problem is the emphasis is on me where the psalmist is talking about God. He is wanting us to sing about God's great forever love. A loving kindness that God freely gives to all people. Us, yes, but everyone the point of the psalmist is that it's all about God, not about you or about me or even us. In the Hebrew, the psalmist says, I will sing of Yahweh's kesed forever. The point of our singing is God. And not just any God, but the God who gave us his name at the burning bush, Yahweh, which in Hebrew means I am. I be, I exist. I'm the source of all being and all existence. This is the one who is speaking to you, Yahweh. And so we sing about Yahweh and specifically Yahweh's kesed, his loving kindness, his faithful love, his covenant with us. And to make sure we get it, I love the way, of course, the psalm takes this Hebrew parallelism, which, as you know, means to make a statement in one verse and then to make the very same statement but using different words 
in the next verse, and it's called the parallelism of, he of Hebrew poetry. In verse 2, he says, I will declare that your love stands firm forever. Now, that's clear that it's about his love standing firm forever. That's what we're singing. That's what we're declaring, that you have established your faithfulness. It's all about your faithfulness in heaven itself. I've always liked Rick Warren's opening line of his book, 40 Days of Purpose. The first time I ever opened that book and read that line, I just stopped and thought about how powerful that word is. He begins, it's not about you. In bold capital letters, it's not about you. That is the message vitally needed in the Western world. And if Rick was writing to the rest of the world, he would, say, he would have said, and it's not even about us. It's all about God. These are Rick's opening lines. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Now, as Rick goes on throughout his book, God's purpose for us is to live in the loving kindness of God both individually and as a community. Then the world will know that we are his because of his love that is within us, his chesed that defines us, that loving, faithful kindness of belonging and committed relationship both to God and to the people with whom we share this world. Another way of saying this is, we are not independent creatures building a life for ourselves as though there's no one else that matters. Nor are we dependent creatures surrendering our identity to the community. We are interdependent human beings created in the image of the triune God. A God within whom it's impossible for us and we struggle with it theologically as well as interrelationally to know where each individual identity of God ends and the unity begins. I've had so many conversations with people. Who do we pray to? Do we pray to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit? Where does one identity end and this triune, almighty God begin? And in that interdependence, we begin to understand that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit express loving kindness, kesed, within and without, just as you and I are meant to live individually and communally, reflecting the kesed, the faithfulness, the committed loving kindness of God, both to ourselves and toward others. Now, it, it is no surprise that each of us can err on either side of this and miss the interdependence of God's kesed. Although we can have a tendency, and I've noticed that we can have this tendency in personality. There are some personalities that are more this way. But we can also be reinforced by the culture 
in which we live and all the different advertisings and movies and films and everything else that we see. But we have a tendency by personality and or by culture of being self-absorbed, using others for our own purpose and primarily concerned about me, even when it comes to my faith, primarily concerned with me getting to heaven or me having the blessings of God. Or on the opposite side of being absorbed by the group and being raised by others for their purposes, losing our own individual identity in that process. The solution, of course, to both imbalances is kesed, this loving kindness, covenant loyalty, steadfast love, love that lives in community with God, with others, and with oneself. Now let's take this back to the event that we're all about to celebrate this week, the 4th of July, the celebration of our independence. By our own documents, we claim that we created this nation and the subsequent culture that we have all formed of independent people in order to have life and liberty and happiness. So, are we? Are we alive? Are we free and are we happy? Now I'm sure a, a thoughtful answer to that would be some of us are. Some of us are living abundant lives with great joy and we're free from the addictions and things that would slave that and take it away from us. Some of us are, but some of us are not. And so the question is, why is that? Why do some people live a blessed, abundant life with unparalleled freedom and pervasive, persistent happiness, and some do not. Well, the psalmist continues in verse 14 and answers that question for us. He says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God's throne, and love and faithfulness go before you. Now you'll notice, turning that verse upside down, that kesed and emeth, loving kindness and faithfulness, lead the way from a foundation of righteousness and justice. It is out of that foundation, righteousness and justice, that blessings come. Now the rest of our text explains it very clearly. It says, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, to put you first in the center of our lives, who walk in the light of your presence, Yahweh. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength, the foundation of who they are. By your favor, you exalt our horn. How, whatever, we're not sure what the horn there, it literally means horn. We're not sure if it means the proclamation, the celebration of the family, of the community, but he exalts us all. Indeed, our shield belongs to Yahweh, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Now, as you can see from this, blessings, rejoicing, celebration, glory, strength, exaltation, safety comes from the foundation of God's kesed, a faithful, loving, committed relationship reflecting God's love and justice, His righteousness and truth. So how are we doing? 
if we trust in chariots or horses or economies or governments or military advisors or super powerful weapons, we will be disappointed. We will not only experience difficulty in our pursuit of happiness, but our lives and our liberty will be at stake as well. So during this week's celebration, let's be thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ and in our nation. And let's remember that true foundation for everything that we are and have been and will be is based on God and his Kesed care for us. As I was writing this on vacation, I was overhearing my grandchildren. <laughs> and they were, for the umpteenth time, listening to Frozen. And this song came on at just this moment. As you read through that, she says, yes, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free. Really gets to me every time. I feel the same when I think about, whoops, how I have no friends and yet I'm happy because I can finally be me, the ice queen. Let's pray.